innovative, dynamic, gritty, determined, warrior. This podcast is about the innovators, the leaders on the front lines of adversity, the all-around good people doing good deeds. They are the civic warriors of the world. Witham's guests are the leaders in the nonprofit industry affecting change. They try, they fail, they overcome. Through their stories, we can join forces to become civic warriors. Hey, warriors. On today's episode of Witham's Civic Warriors podcast, we talk with Nancy Rogers of Nourish, New Jersey. Nourish, New Jersey, previously known as the Community Soup Kitchen and Outreach Center, is a nonprofit organization creating lasting solutions to hunger, homelessness, and poverty by offering food, housing services, work readiness programs, and medical, social, and education services 365 days a year. We talked with Nancy today about operating before and after COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic and how they shifted operations and implemented innovative solutions to continue to nourish those in need. Let's welcome Nancy to the show. So Nancy, welcome to, uh, welcome to our Civic Warriors podcast. We appreciate you... Uh, Appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Well, thank you, Brad and Ashley, for having me on. I appreciate this opportunity to talk to you and to all the folks that are interested in nonprofits. Awesome. So, uh, so just for everybody's knowledge, uh, you know, Nancy works over at uh, Nourish New Jersey, uh, which is formerly known as the uh, Community Soup Kitchen and Outreach Center, uh, which is a super cool not-for-profit organization uh, in the uh, Morris County area. We're located in Morristown, in the, but we handle uh, people throughout Morris County. Awesome. So, so uh, yeah. So, thanks for joining us. So, um, I guess Nancy, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what Nourish New Jersey does? I think it would be great for everyone to get a little background on, uh, on on what you're about. Sounds great. Thank you. Sure. Well, we did start out as the Community Soup Kitchen and Outreach Center back in 1984, serving soup and sandwiches to anyone who needed food. And then um, over the years, we've expanded like, to an organization that provides outreach services as well. So today, um, given that we help people with food insecurity, homelessness, and poverty issues, we uh, thought that it was time to change our name. And so what we did was back in October of 2019, we decided that it's time for uh, everyone to realize that we're more than just a soup kitchen, and we named ourselves Nourish New Jersey. Um, but when, what we are is an organization, like I said, that helps anyone um, who is in need of food or outreach services. And food insecurity is something that people don't really understand from the perspective that they think that just having enough money to put food on the table is, is sufficient. But that's not really it. Health, healthy eating is what we are all about. And um, for the most people that are living like paycheck to paycheck, they don't have the money to afford healthy food for their families, for themselves. So they tend to buy low-cost, inexpensive items so that they can feed their their family. But unfortunately, that results in healthcare issues, as we all know, and obesity, high blood pressure, things of that sort. So what we do is we make sure that we can provide healthy food to people. Um, we are we provide breakfast and lunch every day, 365 days a year. And then we offer what we call free farmer's markets. And the free farmer's markets is where we actually go out and rescue food from supermarkets, uh, food stores. Uh, in the summertime, we actually uh, have access to uh, gardens and um, uh, the uh, orchards and things like that. And they give us all this food, uh, fruits, vegetables, things of that sort. 
and we redistribute it for free. So um, that's like our real focus point, making sure that we can rescue and obtain and then redistribute free healthy food to whoever needs it. So of course, all of our programs um, are pre-COVID <laughs> because we are social, socially distancing, but that hasn't stopped us because we know that the people that we serve under, under a pre-COVID scenario are even more in need of our help with COVID. So we did shift our um, programs to make it socially distant and safe for the staff uh, and for the people that we're helping. So right now, for example, we still serve daily meals, but we're doing a takeout. And we serve breakfast and lunch, sort of a brunch package. And we give those out every day. And we've, we're still probably serving 125 of those a day. We are doing bagged groceries right now for the senior citizens that are self-isolating because they're too dangerous for them to go out. And, and we're delivering household items, canned foods, um, medicines if they need that, uh, all to their doorstep. And uh, we work with a couple of senior citizen housing complexes under the Morris Town Housing Authority. Mm -hmm. So through that, you know, we have a relationship that we started uh, six months ago and we bring it right to the uh, housing authority and then the, the guests come down, the senior citizens come down, they help themselves. Um, but we're also, we're also, we're also bringing the groceries bags to like people that are sheltering in motels and things for because they might be quarantined because they do have COVID. We're leaving things on their front door. Um, and we still use our outreach program. Our, our outreach program is something that um, is very instrumental for our guests because food insecurity and poverty and homelessness are just symptoms of other problems that they have. So our outreach staff, which normally meets face-to-face, one-on-one with our guests to uh, help them with whatever they need help with, is now doing it remotely. And they are um, doing wellness check-ins by phone. They're doing mental health counseling by phone. Uh, and then again, if they're, they're needing access to prescriptions and things like that, we're helping them get all that. So we, we haven't stopped what we're doing at all. We're still, we're still out there doing it. We've just had to make sure that we could alternate um, our, our patterns or suspend, like suspend our normal activities, if you will, and pivot it to a way that was acceptable during this crisis that we're dealing with. Yeah, and that's I, I think a lot of organizations are are trying to trying to navigate that and figure out you know how do you transition from uh, you know being a, a, an in person uh, serving organization right I think I think historically uh, much of your services and much of the the food you distribute and and really the the outreach center was all an in person activity right so it wasn't a, it wasn't it wasn't virtual probably at all prior to this correct. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of, I mean, we're more of a, we, our organization is set up, yes, come to us, we help you, but we've created a community and a social environment right in our dining room. So the people that come there, I mean, this is their, some of them are lonely and alone. They don't have family and they've, they've learned that the people that they've met in our organization as staff, as well as the people that come in to have a meal are now part of their family. They're now part of their social network. So it's a social, it's a social environment. And that's the piece that's missing for a lot of people, which of course mm -hmm. kind of translates into more stress and mental anxiety and then increases our need on the outreach side. Um, I didn't really t touch too much on the different programs that the outreach does, but uh, just I'll throw it out there now. Um, with our outreach program, we've been helping people find housing. 
Mm -hmm. We've been helping people find jobs. And our mental health program that I've talked about a little bit here and there is probably the most prevalent one right now because all the people that are dealing with the issues that they have in their in their personal life, somewhere it's, it's a result of some trauma. And that trauma and some PTSD situations causes them not to be able to hold down a job, causes them um, maybe not to be able to be rational in living and maintaining their household um, living accommodations. So we advocate for them and we mediate with, with them so that we can kind of be their handholder, if you will, and make sure that we can um, intervene whenever is necessary. If it means, you know, talking them down off the ledge, if you will, so that they can handle the situation at hand. Because a small thing that we might consider, you know, an easy situation to think about and resolve could be traumatic for them because they just have no basis for stability or um, you know, like comfort level, if you will. Yeah, and I think that's uh, super relevant for, I think, a lot of people to know. Um, before this call, um, you know, we we obviously got introduced to you through Mike Kulik, who's a, a partner here at Witham. Um, and and I think Mike said the same thing. I, I asked him, I said, you know, if you wanted the world to know something about Nourish New Jersey, what would it be? And he said, his comment was, "It's we're so much more than a soup kitchen. And we're so much more yeah. than providing food you know, we provide the entire suite to help people get, you know, either get back on their feet or maintain a healthy lifestyle or, uh, you know, transition um, to be a better person. And I, I think, you know, I appreciate you sharing your your um, comments on, on what you are doing and, and how you're doing that. And I know myself, I, I serve in an organization uh, called Coming Home where, um, you know, my executive director that I worked with uh, over there, she always imbibes in me that, you know, it's more than just, you know, putting someone into a house. If you're homeless, it's more than just saying, here's the keys to a house. Because there's a, there's a, you know, first and foremost, there's an accessibility component. You have to find the housing. There's a sustainability component. You have to have, you have to be able to maintain a job to pay for the housing, not just being subsidized. Um, and then there's an affordability component. You need to be able to make enough, enough money, whether it's through subsidy or through working to, to maintain that lifestyle. And then the last thing in all of that is, you know, with COVID-19, the thing I learned having two young kids is that your anxiety level just like every day goes like this, because not only are you trying to do your job differently than you've ever done it before, so you're venturing into this new skill, but you're also, you know, you're sometimes kids don't, you know, kids at that age don't, don't fully grasp or understand what's going on. And, and you can't, you know, uh, uh, you've probably heard this before, but you can't rationalize with a three-year-old. <laughs> you, you can tell them, but, you know, there, it doesn't go so far. There's, a, there's always a why, daddy. Why? But why? But why? And um, you, you, you've said it all in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. and and exactly correct. You've hit right on it. <laughs> so, you know, I guess, um, you know, maybe uh, one of the things I, I think you mentioned to us, um, you know, in, in chatting with you, um, you know, obviously one organization probably can't do everything, right? And so you can and you do, but do you partner with any other agencies to kind of help uh, with that suite of services you provide or to help, um, you know, individuals thrive? Do you, do you partner with any other agencies or organizations? Yeah. So, I mean, we do. Some of our biggest partners, in, in, we, first of all, let's say we do partner with Marstown uh, Memorial Hospital, the health, the community health um, division, and we work very closely with them. They help us with all of our homeless people. 
They help us with medical care for everyone who doesn't have health insurance. Um, they And they communicate back and forth because, like I said, a lot of times we're their emergency contact for some of our folks. So we we have a direct line with that division of Morristown Memorial Hospital. And we um, each client that goes there is getting personalized help. And we're kind of, we monitor them and we make sure they, they're following the medical protocol that's being given to them if that's necessary. So that's a big partner of ours. And they financially support us as well. We also work with the Zufold Health Clinic. And once a month, the uh, mobile van, if you will, comes to our organization and does well care checkups, diabetes testing. Oh, cool. They provide, whether you have insurance or not, a physical of medical health care. And they track, they have some of our, our guests as clients. So each month when they are coming, they're, they're checking the records and keeping them up to um, making sure they're adhering to whatever protocol they need to be following. Uh, we also work with the Morristown um, Housing Authority, and that's mm -hmm. the area where three of uh, the, the low-income senior housing facilities uh, that are under the Morristown Housing Authority are the ones that we're working with, and we're working with over 200 uh, people that live in those apartments, providing them with healthy food, and we're delivering it to them. Uh, many of them have diabetes, uh, high blood pressure. They're on a fixed income, so they can't really afford healthy food. So those are three um, particular senior housing complexes that we are working with to provide healthy food with every week. And we're doing that now during COVID. We're delivering grocery bags to them right now. Uh, we partner with other organizations like the Hispanic Community of, of uh, New Jersey. We work with JBWS. Um, we work with there's like a whole slew of them. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure uh, you know I'm sure you're working with with more than you can list, and I'm sure you know for for not not uh, putting me on the spot and making you name everyone, and then someone listens to this and is like, why didn't you name me? <laughs> I'm sure you know. I, I'm sure you work with. We with have a lot, a lot of corporations. Lot and corporations. We have a lot of corporations that, that help us, and you know what? The people, the employees within the organization, like Witham is one of them, where your employees have expertise and you donate your time to us. You guys have done that, and we've worked with other corporations who send their employees into the dining room to help with um, our, our employment program. So there'll be people volunteering in the dining room that have uh, skills with preparing resumes, doing mock interviews, um, helping with uh, finding online job applications. So we rely on over 3,000 volunteers in our organization to help make this organization run efficiently and effectively. We keep a very lean staff for that reason. We need our volunteers and our volunteers come in all ranges you know the volunteers help prepare the meal serve the meal but they also provide their expertise and skills in the dining room and can work one-on-one -on -one with our our guests yeah i mean three thousand volunteers is a lot of volunteers <laughs> that's a lot of volunteers yeah how, how do you manage do you, do you have like a volunteer program or do you have a uh like a system in place for for, for managing volunteers i know that's we do, we do work with a lot of organizations that are heavy, heavily volunteer uh, driven. And, and I think we find that uh, administratively, it becomes a little bit of a, you know, administratively and somewhat legally, it comes up a little bit of a, a challenge to manage. But do you, how, do you, how do you go about that? Any anything any, uh, we can learn from, from what you're doing? Well, we do, we do ask all of our volunteers to attend a brief 30-minute orientation. And this way oh, cool. we can give them, we, see, we operate under the Board of Health guidelines as well. So we are, 
uh, safe serve in the kitchen, and we want to make sure that our people that are working to serve the, the food, everyone kind of goes by the guidelines of the Board of Health. So the 30-minute briefing that we do allows us to go through the guidelines of what you need to know, how you volunteer, and you know the the routine, so that people aren't walking in sort of uneasy, that they don't know what they're going to be doing. We want you to come in comfortable. We want you to come in happy. Um, yeah, we have a we have someone who handles two people actually that handle volunteers 100% of their time because it is a big job. But that is what we need to keep our overhead down is the volunteers, and the volunteers yeah. do everything. I mean, they help us unload donations that are coming in. They help us restock pantry, our pantry. They help us prepare the food, serve the food, clean up. Um, and again, if they have talents, we have other things that we do in the dining room. We have like a music therapy and an art program. So if their talent is in music and art, they can come and join us with that. And, and they okay. like to work with the guests. That's the other thing. They do enjoy. Our volunteers are excited to be able to interact. And our guests love that too. Yeah, I can only imagine that. That's that's uh, that's cool. And yeah, I've I've heard. I mean, we yeah, a couple of clients I work with, they have they have the you know the position of volunteer manager. You know, <laughs> 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 that's but not it, an but, easy but, job. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I'm sure there's paperwork involved, and I'm sure you know just getting everyone scheduled and organized, and it, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, a lot of corporations want to donate their time, time and effort. You know, organizations like us. You know, we love doing it, and I. And I know it actually, like when I approach organizations, sometimes it's stressful to organizations that we come and volunteer for them. <laughs> like, I think, <laughs> I think we, re we respect and understand that and try to, you know, I know the, the one, couple of the organizations that we, uh, uh, we do some bigger volunteer activities for, you know, we kind of are like, okay, instead of us telling you when we can come, why don't you tell us when you need us most? And that's when we'll be there. <laughs> and I think that's one, of the, that's one of the hardest things to understand. Cause I think a lot of corporations are, hey, you know, we have a volunteer and with them does it too. We have our with them week of caring and, and that's, that's around Thanksgiving time for obvious reasons. And, but sometimes organizations we work with are like, yeah, we don't need you around Thanksgiving time. We need you in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> like we have some trees in the back. Can you cut those down for us? With them does come in November to, to help us in our dining room. And we love that, but I love it because you guys are so energetic and enthusiastic and we need that and we want that. And you guys do whatever is needed to be done. You're, you're not picky. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have one, I have one that we volunteer for every year that um, they, uh, they manage the trails in New Jersey up in, uh, uh, up north in Mawa. And uh, I've had to, yeah, we've like cut, cut out like sticker bushes. Like <laughs> I think, I think, uh, you know, one year, one year we were moving logs and like clearing trail and it, it's so much fun. And we, we get, you know, we get like <laughs> 10 people, everyone loves going there. Um, but we, you know, once again, we pivot to what, you know, organizations needs. And I think anyone that, you know, under, you know, works with nonprofits just needs to understand that a lot of it is about what the nonprofit needs, not about, not about just, you know, doing something. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's cool that you have a volunteer program. It's cool that you have someone that manages it and that you are so volunteer driven because, um, you know, that allows you to provide the services you provide is with those volunteers. Um, we can't, you know, mutually uh, inclusive relationship where you can't do your services. You know, you could never afford all the people that you need to do everything that you do, um, you know, in a, in a nonprofit environment, especially in a post-COVID environment when yeah, contributions yeah. become uncertain right now. Um, so I just want to take a so step. True. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that is so true because we we set up team building events for our corporations to, to come and volunteer, and usually there's a donation involved. And now we're losing that little piece of financial support that we used to have historically with not having corporations come in and volunteer. Okay. Yeah, and and you know, so the one thing I wanted to take a step back to, and it's it's somewhat related to that, and it's you know how how. How did you make the transition from, you know, being in person to being, you know, going virtual and, you know, abiding by the the state social distancing orders? Uh, and for those that don't know, we're in the state of New Jersey. Um, I said Morris County right up front, but I think there are we do have some uh, some folks that that listen uh, that are non-state of New Jersey. So this is in the state of New Jersey, and uh, obviously New Jersey is under a stay-at-home order right now um, for a period of time that I'm not 100% sure about, and. <laughs> So how did you make, you know, how did that, just talk to us a little bit about how you made the transition, right? I mean, I imagine there's a lot of individuals at your organization that, that you know, you had a meeting of the minds of sorts, but why don't, can you walk us through a little bit how you transitioned? Like, like what did that process look like to make that happen? So, absolutely. So we have been open, we're open 365 days a year, and for 36 years, we've never missed a day. Closing our doors We've, through snowstorms, hurricanes, we are open. We've never closed. So on no March what. 13th, <laughs> no matter what. So March 13th was a Friday, and we had a, a, a uh, an emergency staff meeting, and all hands on deck, and we discussed what we were going to do. And basically, we were not we wanted to make sure that we were protecting everyone, volunteers, guests, and and staff. So we pivoted into takeout right away. We discussed this on Friday, and we implemented it on Saturday. So basically we said, okay, we're not, we're going to limit the number of people working in the dining room or in the kitchen, which is like three staff members only. And mm -hmm. three people will come in and we will be making bagged meals and we will be handing them out. We set up, we opened the front doors, we created table space between us and the guests. And we had one, one staff member uh, at that door handing out the meals. And then two people in, in the dining room making the food, if you will. And we're, we're from that day till now, we're still giving out 125 brunch bags a day. Then we also discussed, um, well, that's just not enough because a lot of we always have take-home food available in the dining room for guests to take home uh, to prepare in their homes. So we decided that, okay, we also were going to make grocery bags filled because what we want is we don't want really to have people coming to us. If we can give them enough groceries to stay home for several days, it's safer for them than to be out and about. So the combination of the two, our plan was let's send people home with as much food as we can provide them with so that they can self-quarantine during this pandemic. Uh, what we found was that we're still getting the daily people coming in. And those are the people that are more or less homeless or in shelters. So, uh, and the folks that, are, that we are giving the grocery bags to are families of low income, and they are getting meals. For a family of four, roughly, that would last two to three days. And and you know what? Like I said, we're we're a small staff, but we we pivot fast, and we we know our track record is to be there for our guests. And we know if we don't open our doors and give them what they need, they're not getting it. So there was there was no there was no um, there was no questions asked by the staff. I mean, basically, we knew what we had to do, and we did it. And we've been doing it since March third, March fourteenth is when we started. And it's worked out well. We have three people a day coming in, and we rotate the staff so that initially when we were doing this, we wanted to make sure no one was sick. 
So we were kind of staggering mm -hmm. the staff with the, with the thought processes. God forbid any of us are sick. We did sick. We didn't want to wipe out our staff. But thankfully, nobody on our staff is sick or has been. That's great. That's wonderful. So you chose a plan right from the get-go that you could probably use to sustain, hopefully, the whole way through. And hopefully, the whole way through is short-term, so much long-term. <laughs> <laughs> not our biggest problem longer, is having the money to buy all the food. Because we're buying all the food, we're not taking donations. That was the other thing. We stopped taking donations again from a, a safety standpoint. Uh, so we had to change and purchase food. The problem we were also incurring was that a lot of these suppliers didn't even have enough food to give to all the different areas. Um, we do work with the Community Food Bank of New Jersey, so they have been very supportive during the pandemic. And we probably pick up, I do, I'm sure we pick up once a month, uh, excuse me, once a week from them. So that helps us with like the non-perishable goods. But now we've got to transition a little bit more because like I said earlier, non-perishable foods, canned goods are not what we really want to give people. But that's what we did for a month thinking this was a short-term issue. But now that we see it as long-term, we're going to implement in the next couple of weeks um, working with our supermarket chains again to get the fresh fruits and vegetables so that we can now give out more healthier foods. And with the warmer weather coming and people with their personal gardens, we're asking anyone who has gardens, if they want to donate some of their fresh stuff, we'll take their fresh fruits and vegetables and we'll distribute it. Wow, that's great. How are you collecting um, those fruits and veggies? Like Drop off. So, uh, yeah, two ways. One, the ones that we're getting from the uh, restaurants, um, and actually, ones that we're getting from the supermarket chains, our van goes out every day and picks up from uh, the supermarket chains, and everyone's masked and gloved, and there's usually containers already sitting there waiting for us. For donations that are coming in now through individuals, we set it up on Tuesdays and Thursdays that they can drop off between 10 and 1, and we have bins outside. So people can just leave their their donations outside. Tell us that you're coming so we know to go outside and check, and then we bring it in. Awesome. How do you, um, you know, as an organization, obviously you, you um, promote, uh, you know, healthy healthy eating, um, and you know, serving meals. Do you have a nutritionist, or do you? How do you um, how do you come up with the the choices for, uh, you know, what what's being served? So last year when we transitioned into this healthy food program, we worked with a couple of nutritionists who volunteered their time with our kitchen coordinator and our director of operations who does the meal plan. And together they came up with um, items that were, that could re re replace the things that people were like, use, like we don't use white rice anymore. We use brown rice. We use fresh vegetables. We now buy fresh yep. meat. We don't, you know, the whole frozen food, um, meat products and processed meats we don't use any of that we buy fresh chicken we buy fresh vegetables uh and yes we did work with a nutritionist she volunteered to help us with the program oh that's so cool yeah and i, I yeah it's definitely uh it's funny i went to for the first time in my life we went through um this like health assessment where they kind of looked at your longevity it was uh like a longevity study to see and at the end you know the the whole thing with it is they say they're going to tell you how long you're going to live but but as part of that, I I never would have I never would have gone. I don't know if I want to know that. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it's it's crazy what they tell you too, because it's they run all these tests that you never would have run, and so there's a lot of like random things, like 
I don't know. Like I find out, I found out I have like a low bone density and like, I have like, I have like a spine of like a 90 year old and it's like, all right, cool. Like, what do what? I do about that? Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's very odd. And, um, but it, but it's so telling them you, when you hear these things, like, because they ran, they run like a bone density test. Like when would you ever get a bone density test done? And, um, they did that. But anyway, as part of this, they, you know, they kind of go through all this nutritional stuff. And I, once again, I would never go to a nutritionist, but when I talked with the nutritionist, I'm like, like they gave me literally like five to 10 tips. Like, Hey, here's a sheet of paper, consider doing these couple things. And I can tell you, like, it makes all the world of difference. Just having someone say, Hey, eat this, not that do this, not that. And those small changes, like make a world of difference, like incorporating more almond butter in your diet or, you know, whatever the random uh, secret or trick is, but um, you know, food has so much impact on our mood and has so much impact on our on our well-being, both mentally and, and physically, that um, I, I think a lot of people need to need to really consider that and, and, and understand like the the value of the service and the and the um, of the of your organization, and what you're doing for the community, because uh, as you said in the beginning, you know, um, and I forget the exact words, but it, it was something along the lines of, you know, food food is healthcare food is you know food is the you know one of the one of the main sources of of well-being uh and and most most you know individuals don't necessarily eat healthy especially um you know if you don't have access to uh, healthy food or you can't afford healthy food which as everybody knows healthy food is typically more expensive than unhealthy food you know i can go buy a box of mac and cheese pretty cheap but uh if i want to go make a healthy meal it may cost me three to four times that to make that healthy meal so, you know, we, we really commend you on, on kind of not only serving food, but, but having the, the mindset that it's more, it's more about us helping that individual than us putting a meal on a table. And I, I think that's uh, one of my big takeaways of just understanding more about what you're doing. And, and I think that's, that's great. And, and we are, that's our approach. We have this holistic approach to, to what we're doing. And, you know, if, if I needed to, to break it down into four groups, like food is our our entryway into helping people. And from there we find out what is their, what is it that they need? Do they need a place to live? Do we need to help them find a place to live? Do we need to help them get a job? But all of that kind of intertwines with each other. And then the end result is what is their medical condition? What is their health like? Are, are you taking this all, you know, are you, are you encompassing all this together? And a lot of times people will get help in a single area, but it's not really helping them become um, self-sufficient and the t we always seem we want to be able to provide tools to, for people that are becoming self-sufficient and one other a, a point that I probably should make that I didn't is that a lot of the people that we're helping fall through the cracks of our, our system they are the hard to help people that don't get can't access services uh, through traditional ways they don't they don't meet criteria they don't have you know a lot of our organizations that are out there require you to fill out applications and forms. Number one, that's very intimidating for some of our guests. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, we don't have any requirements to get our services. Everything we do, food, housing, employment, um, medical is free. Uh, no questions asked. And then, and we help everyone, regardless of their religious background, ethnic background, their, um, their personal financial situation. And we know that when you're coming to us, you're, you're in need. We don't have to worry about filling out an application that you qualify. And that brings me to the other thing is that we're 100% self-funded. 
That's what I was going to say. It's, it's, it's government, <laughs> government funding that actually creates a lot of that um, administration because a lot of the funding is dependent upon circumstances. And you're you're correct. There are, it, with government funding, there's there's thresholds, there's scales, there's a whole slew of different eligibility criteria that us as auditors end up auditing on on organizations like so we we come across it a lot. But um, you know, there's income levels you have to meet. And what's interesting is that a lot of those sometimes are very, very low bars to receive a government subsidy. And there are so many people that are in that working two jobs, kids, families that don't meet those criteria because they're they're doing everything that that they do, uh, which is incredible. Um, but they don't necessarily meet those. You know, I always said I want if I created a charity because of you know having kids now, if I created a charity, it would be helping helping single working moms because I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I honestly uh, don't know how that how you make that happen. And, and, you know, because they're working because, you know, they may not get that. So uh, why don't you talk, you know, I think it's, it's good lead in. It was definitely something I, um, I kind of totally cut you off. But <laughs> uh, right. So, so, you know, government funding does does create some of that and you're not government funded. So you, you do have the ability to offer, uh, offer a more, uh, a less intimidating and a more uh, open, uh, uh, service. That's exactly right. Um, we, we choose not to accept government funding because we don't want to turn anyone away. And we want to create a barrier stigma free environment for people so that they, are, they feel comfortable coming and asking for help because people in need don't, they, you know, it's, there's a, a, humble, a humbleness to having to ask for help. So if we create a, a friendly, warm environment, which we've always done, you come in, there's a smile greeting you at the door. How, how are you, you know, what, what, what can we do for you today? How about a cup of coffee? We sit down with our guests, we get to know them. And then over time we build this relationship where they feel comfortable coming to us for help. And you can't do that if you're getting government funding because you do have restrictions, you do have reporting requirements. And it's taking us, it would be taking us away from helping the people that need our help. And like, again, it, we're providing an environment where they can just come in. And most of our clients come through word of mouth because they know that we're going to oh, help sure. them regardless of their situation. Um, so we do rely on individuals donating money to us. We rely on schools. We have some supporting congregations. And we also look for private foundations. I, I do grant writing, so I will apply for private money. And we look at corporations. So anyone and any amount of financial support is is important for us to sustain our programs because they are all free. And um, I mean, the things, in addition to just buying food, if we're helping someone find a house, a uh, home, I should say, or an apartment, they don't have the savings to put a security deposit down and get a place to live. So we may need to help them with that. We may need to give them seed money to do that. Um, people looking for jobs probably don't have interview clothes. Part of our work program is to be able to get them a haircut and a suit or a dress that they can go on their interview and feel comfortable about themselves, give themselves some self-esteem oh, and yeah. confidence so that, that when they're on that interview, they'll get that job. Um, so there's a lot of seed money that goes into getting people back on their feet. And we're, we're okay with that. And we have donors that are totally on board with supporting that. So um, that's where all of our money goes to, going into the programs to get people uh, back on their feet. And it all starts with them coming in for a meal. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> really nice. 
So how do you, um, you know, talking a little bit, I mean, I imagine, I imagine what's, uh, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, you're purchasing, you're purchasing the food, you're, you're obviously um, providing funds for certain services, uh, or, you know, purchasing maybe clothes or a haircut. Um, how are you, how are you transitioning your fundraising efforts right now? Um, just given that, you know, obviously times are changing and everybody's a little bit uncertain about what's happening to uh, public contributions in the world. How, how are you thinking about it? And how are you kind of approaching the, the next phase of, uh, we'll call it fundraising? <laughs> well, we're going to keep doing what we're doing, which is, you know, um, working with steward our stewardship with our existing donors because they're, they've been a basis and a foundation for us for 36 years. But we've, we've increased our marketing on social media, which was something we were a little lax in in the past. So now we're more out there um, on Facebook and Instagram, like all the other organizations are. We, um, during COVID, we actually put in, a, we put out an emergency fund relief campaign uh, through letters and through social media. So we were hoping that people will either send us a check or go on our website, www nourishnj.org and make a donation with, with online through our website. Um, and then again, searching out for some more grant opportunities because there is some COVID funding out there. One of the things I was trying to do recently is just reconnect with my corporate teams that have been sponsoring the day uh, over the years. And with the Sponsor the Day program, there was a financial donation. And like I mentioned earlier, we're, we don't have that right now. So I was hoping to look for ways to get the companies to re-engage with us like maybe they have some um, corporate citizenship teamwork going on or certain special programs for COVID and that's kind of one of the things that I'm hoping I can reconnect with them and look for ways that the individual employees on their own could come up with fundraising ideas we have a couple of people that are doing something on their own I have a group that's uh, raising a garden and they're going to sell their the uh, flowers and herbs from their garden and all proceeds will come to us so people are getting creative we have we have volunteers oh, cool. making masks for our guests um so there's financial and then there's time and services so um but we're always looking for ways to keep keep the programs going yeah yeah, and and I mean, it seems like you're doing that, which is which is uh, you know good good to hear, and and definitely um, you know I think we're all I think we're all you know kind of challenged by what do we do next, you know, <laughs> what's the next move? I think about it every day. Is is you know what's the what's the next thing that I, I should be thinking about? What's the next thing that uh, you know that that I should be doing? Um, you know, so from your perspective, I guess what you know, I. I can never find a better way to to ask this, but you know, like like what keeps you up at night with with Nourish New Jersey? Like what 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 are the what are the what are the things that you know you know you're you're you know either challenged with or you know we talked about a few of them, but but what are the things that you know you would say, man, I really need this help from the public? You know, what what would that be other than hey, here's a million dollar check? Although that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice, you know. I Right now, what I think about is the aftermath of COVID-19, honestly. Um, we have done such a great job prior. We housed 87 homeless people and we got 107 people jobs. Those folks, plus many, many, many more, are gonna be coming to our door now after this is over because they, they have lost their jobs, they have had their wages cut. So I feel like the next 24 months, is going to be very, very um, challenging for us as an organization. 
because we are going to see a significant increase in poverty and homelessness. People are going to be, I mean, this whole um, rent, what's the word that they're using now, where you don't have to pay your rent for a little while. Holiday. They, <laughs> we're going to see a lot of eviction. I mean, we're going to see a lot of com people coming to us saying, you know, I can't pay this back rent. What do we do? Yes. So the question is, do you, do you really want people to lose their homes over a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars if we've got multiple people? For us, it's not, it's very hard once you become homeless to get back into a, a an apartment complex. So we want to make sure that we have the financial resources. And it is all about finance, I, I, I'm sorry to say, to keep these people housed if they're unemployed and then get them back on track to be um, to be able to get a job. Because I think that the numbers are going to be astonishing after we, we uh, when all this settles down. I really do. Yeah, I think that's what that's definitely a lot of, a lot of a lot of our concern too is that um, it's not necessarily right now. I think everyone's somewhat managing right now. It's it's what happens after the fact. You know, a lot of businesses that have always been open that have been uh, very active in communities that made donations that. Uh, supported, you know, different people and individuals. I mean, some of those businesses may not be around after this because of everything going on. You know, if you can't open your, you know, a lot of restaurants that can't open their doors for two months. I mean, that has a, that has a detrimental effect on, on so many levels. Um, you know, think about all the, I think about the one thing that I think, keep thinking about is like all the real estate out there right now. You know, anyone that's a, that's a, that's a, a landlord or, or a real estate, you know, commercial real estate, um, there's going to be some, some, some substantial changes to how uh, we even go about commercial real estate. Like, think about all the department stores, you know? I mean, my thought is, yeah. you know, a lot of that may ultimately end up being converted to housing because, you know, the housing is, is the where there's a shortage and there's just this plethora of storefronts where when something like this happens, you know, a lot of people um, realize that, you know, or, or they may be scared to go to storefronts, you know, I mean, there may be this, right. there's this psychological component. What I'm trying to say is there's this psychological component that I think a lot of us can't predict. And uh, it's going to be a real, a real uh, eye opener to figure out how we uh, pivot as a society and, and really how people consumer behavior, how people are going to react. And, you know, organizations like yours are, are going to continue to do the hard work and, uh, you know, I, a lot more people are probably going to need your services, and I hate saying that, but um, you know, so so anyone that can support your organization, I think it's a, it's a very worthwhile cause to support, and, and really makes an impact on your community. I mean, even you know, just looking at some of the the statistics that you provided us before even jumping on this call, um, you know, just just looking at that, and I think it's good, um, and it's better you saying it than me, because I'm gonna I'm totally gonna mince something, but but how many people you know before pre-COVID, how many people a day did you serve? So pre-COVID, we were serving between 200 and 250 meals a day. That's breakfast and lunch. And through the farmer's market distribution, we were reaching 1,600 people. Um, and those are usually working poor families. 1,600. We have, yep. So we, that, the markets are a are, are, are big, big, big uh, program for us, if you will, because we're feeding working poor families. Like you mentioned before, a lot of people are working two jobs at minimum wage to support their families, mothers and fathers. And as a result, they don't qualify for any kind of a financial assistance or help. But they still can't make ends meet. They're paying their basic bills to keep their house, keep their job, and what have you, transportation. 
So the food is always the same that is discretionary. If you can't afford it, you don't get it. So those markets have been a really, really important piece of um, salvation for these for these families. But we're not only doing the, smart, the working poor families and the senior citizens that I mentioned, but we're also actually delivering food to the Morristown High School and the County College of Morris because we're, we learned last year that a lot of our students were dropping out of school because they needed, they couldn't afford to stay in school and they needed to help support their family and get a job. So the other program that we've, uh, we instituted last year is making sure that students don't have to choose between their education and feeding their family and helping support the household bill. So we are now providing free food in a pantry fashion, very discreetly, so that it's not, there's no stigma attached to it and the students don't have to feel, we're doing it with, with um, the help of the guidance department. So like we kind of are doing it in the shadows and the guidance people department knows who needs what and how to. Oh, sure. So basically helping students stay in school so that they can get an education and get a job and we can try to help break the cycle of poverty in their future. Because otherwise, we're we're putting a band-aid on it. If we can't help kids get educated, get jobs, they're gonna they're gonna result in the same situation that they grew up in, and that's not what we want. Wow. No. That's that's so impactful. That's huge. And these are things that some people don't even think about. And actually, the fact that you're saying it kind of goes on in the shadows is what is good for the students so that they don't feel like you said there's a stigma attached to it but it also um just shines light on what you guys are doing that there's so many things you're doing that a lot of people might not even consider going about their normal daily lives that other people are in these scenarios where they need the support in those ways and it all comes back to food how that can be such a huge influence and game changer it is a game changer for everyone. It really is. And and you're right. Most people don't know about Nourish MJ. They, and when they knew us, some people knew us as community soup kitchen, really thought of us as just a soup kitchen. And I say that because that in and of itself has a stigma attached to it. So changing our name we felt was very impactful, but also try, still trying to bring awareness to everyone that we're more than we do so much more than feed people. But food is the most important part of what we do and that leads to what brad was saying earlier um, you know your whole mental physical outlook and being changes if you're eating healthy and we take it for granted yeah the dictionary term hangry is is a real it's a real thing, <laughs> it is a real thing. It i experience it all the time and there's also for all of you that know when you have young kids and they're your kids i heard this the other day that we, I gave my son, uh, it was my birthday a few weeks ago and his birthday is actually uh, coming up and, and we gave him cake. And uh, apparently there's something about blue icing that I didn't know, but uh, oh. someone told me that if you, you know, it, it might be an urban legend, but so, someone said that, that blue Stand icing actually make, make, yeah, it makes kids go like completely bananas. And uh, he ate this cake and I'm within bad. three minutes, he, he turned into a monster, like an absolute, he was like throwing stuff across the room. He was running around screaming. <laughs> And and I but but you know you put that you put that into context of what of what you're doing and you realize that like you know why is that well it's sugar kids shouldn't have sugar and anyone that's a parent out there don't give your kids sugar because it's this is what happens you know they grow they grow their 
throw their uh, their little toys, their action figures at the windows, and sometimes they go through the windows. And you know, you go you go through this you go through this rigmarole, and it's but you realize that it's it's you know it's as simple as just okay, I can give my kid cake with sugar or cake without sugar, and it will make all the world of difference. It, it's it's crazy to think about. Or you just say no more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you should get for his birthday. You better make sure he has a little icing, or he'll be jealous. Yeah, we we decided I mean, we just we're just not going with blue icing. I, I'm telling you, someone someone told me this urban legend that like blue it's like the color blue icing. There's something in the dye that that yeah know. causes issues. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, you know, from our perspective. Um, you know, any, uh, you know, I think you told us, but I'll just reiterate it. You know, if, if anyone, um, you know, want, uh, is looking to make a donation to uh, Nourish New Jersey, I think you mentioned your website. Uh, your website may be a good place to, to do that. Um, is that the best place you think to make if someone wanted to make a donation to you? Yes, the website has our, our um, donation button right there that you click on. It's very simple. And it also has our address. If someone would much rather send a check, they can send a check to uh, Nourish NJ. 36 South Street, Morristown, New Jersey, or like I said, www.nourishnj.org. Uh, they could call us if they want to chat. I can tell them all about how helpful and useful their donation will make an impact on people. Um, and uh, we need their help because not only will the need for services increase, but I'm sure a lot of people's personal financial situations that normally were able to give might change as a result of this pandemic. So, you know, in order for us to sustain ourselves, we're going to need a lot of help from new people as well as our existing donors. Because we know that everyone's going to be struggling financially, even if you have a safety net, fortunately, to, to rely on. Um, we're all going to get hit pretty hard, personally. And the people that we're helping are already struggling. So that just means from, from um, Nourish NJ's perspective that they are just going to be in, in much more dire straits than they are. And we've started to see it. I mean, the numbers, we had talked about um, what we're doing right now, but a lot of what we're seeing is, again, people calling us and in search of how can I get this, this, and this. Um, it's it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be sad and it's going to be busy, but Nourish NJ has always promised to be there to help people. And this won't change our commitment to being in the community and helping them with whatever they need from us. We make it happen. We do. Um, we always find a way. We believe in serendipity. <laughs> we know that whenever there's a need and if we're in a difficult spot, if we just put it out there, it, it gets done. Um, I've been there 13 years. To me, this is not a job. This is a passion of mine. Most of the folks that have been there Work that are at Nourish NJ have been there a long time. Our executive director has been there 20 some odd years plus. Um, and this is this is a this is not a job for us. This is an important mission that we all take to heart and feel that everyone deserves to have access to healthy food, a place to live, and a job, and children especially. So we want to make sure that we can get our our kids on the right path. So that they can break the cycle that they might have grown up in as as a part of no fault of their own, just the fact that the circumstances were not there to, and the services might not have been there for them to 
get an opportunity to make a, make a change. And, and just, you know, to put a plug in for some of our guests, I mean, many of our guests right now who are, they want to work and they want to give back. And they've taken some of those frontline jobs right now during COVID just so that they can make some money and feel like they are part of, of helping others. So. Well, we know we know if someone needs to find good employment, they can also come to you guys, and I imagine you can make some good recommendations too. So I think that's you know it's not just about donating to Nourish New NJ, but it's also you know if you have opportunities to help the people they're serving, I think that's also very valuable for people to to hear and understand because you know that's that's in the bigger picture of what you're doing. So uh, very that's very, very true. We we were doing we've done that locally in Morristown. Uh, we have partnering with the restaurants, although again now that that's changed, but. We're partnering with a lot of businesses that know us and know how we work with our guests and how we will be the mediator between the employer and the employee. And that's something that I would like to mention. If there's an opportunity for another company in need of, of an employment person, reach out to us. We match people's skills and expertise to what the need is. We're not going to just you know, say, here, John, go take this job, because we don't want John to fail and we don't want our reputation with this company to be um, uh, tarnished because our goal is to make sure we maintain relationships with businesses so that we can rotate people through different job opportunities. So we have been successful with that in the grocery business, in the, we have a lot of employees, we got jobs with at supermarkets, at restaurants. I'm sure a lot of those restaurant employees are gonna be coming back to us if restaurants start shutting down, we'll see. But uh, we would definitely welcome the opportunity to partner with any company that is looking for help and is willing to work with us. We are willing to work with them and uh, kind of do a good match. We pre-screen our, our, our folks. We help them, you know, with whatever training they need in addition to like if there's on-site training at the employment place. So that would be a great, great uh, way to, to collaborate with us. Yeah, no, I I love that thought and and uh, you know definitely definitely something that we don't always always think about. Um, you know, we generally people may go traditional routes or put job postings online, but sometimes sometimes you have to bring you know you have to go to the source. You know, it like with us when we hire, you know, we go to the colleges. It's not just putting a job posting. Hey, we need a couple of kids. I mean, we're we're so active with college campuses, just meeting meeting the next generation. You know, of of people getting into the profession and onto our profession that. You know that's 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 how you make it happen. So you know it's a it's a great resource. You're a staple in the community, and uh, you know definitely uh, I learned a lot just just by kind of listening to some of the things you're doing, and and uh, you know you're definitely doing a lot of good for for a lot of people uh, as as you just mentioned. So um, any 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 closing thoughts for us? You know we definitely talked about a lot. Definitely uh, had a great call. You know, <laughs> love talking with you. This is awesome. Uh, any closing thoughts for us? I just want to thank you for this opportunity again. I hope that the folks that are listening have learned a lot about Nourish NJ. And again, we have a wonderful website. We have wonderful staff members that are always excited to tell you a story. Um, I'm, I have lots of guest stories that I can tell you happy endings. And uh, if there's an opportunity to, to donate to our organization, we would greatly appreciate it. And, and thanks to you. I, I hopefully have gotten my message across about our organization and the, and the wonderful things that our programs do to help people get back on their feet. And you know what, with one last thought is that, you know, many of us are only one trauma 
or one disaster away from being a guest at our door. And I'll tell you that I've heard that story from people who have volunteered that but for the grace of God, they're not on our standing, standing on our food line. And um, I agree with that. I think that many people don't realize what one medical catastrophe, what accident in their, in their family situation could do to impact their personal, such, you know, their personal finances, their personal living conditions. And you would never dream that you might be on the other side of this organization getting our help, but that's what we, that's what we have seen and, and we might see a lot more of in the future. So we all have to be grateful that we are where we are right now and hope that we can um, share our treasures with people who need it. Totally Absolutely. Agree. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us, Nancy. Thanks for your time. Thanks for, uh, for you know, bringing that up. And, and, and yeah, I definitely hope that everyone out there listening definitely has a good, uh, good sense of, of what Nourish New Jersey does. If you don't, definitely check out the website, reach out to Nancy. Um, and, and really just, uh, you know, we appreciate uh, kind of talking about all the good things you're doing and, and kind of sharing some of the challenges you're facing among among the the times and and uh, I think a lot of people will learn from this and you know we really uh, really appreciate it so thank thanks so much. Hey Warriors, thanks for tuning in. On the next episode of Civic Warriors, we'll talk with Greg Weiss and Sharia McCray from Foundation Academies about the challenges faced by schools and how they are providing innovative solutions and quality education to the students in Trenton, New Jersey. Make sure to subscribe to Civic Warriors and thanks for all your support. Have a great day.